Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The Audio Vault on 941 San Antonio Sports Star is brought to you by AA Best Bail Bonds. 225-2121 or online at mybestbailbonds.com. It is the Blitz here on 941 San Antonio Sports Star. He's Joe Ryan Eagle. I'm Jason Minix. Longhorns did not get it done down in New Orleans. They didn't? Uh, they did not. Wow. So a guy not headed to Houston for a Monday night national championship game is joining us now on the Buyers Barricades guest line. Bob Ballou survived New Orleans. The Longhorns did not. Bob, um, you've had a day to think about what all went wrong for Texas. And my reaction after that game was over, especially over the first three quarters, Texas was a team that didn't look ready for the moment. Offensively, defensively, play calling. Um, <laughs> I, I think I can agree that they weren't ready for the moment. I, I can go with that. Um, the false starts, uh, the uncharacteristic penalties. Um, I, I was actually just saying a pleasure. I thought they lost this game this in a lot of the same manners they lost the Oklahoma game. Um, they didn't play well. They committed way too many penalties that were bizarre penalties, like like a lot of false starts and stuff. And then the two turnovers in the third quarter. And that was it. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think in the end, it's real easy to pin this on different things. And I'm sure we're going to go through a little bit of it. But, like, I think you start with this. Michael Penix was unbelievable. Yep. Yep. And and I don't I don't wanna I think when we start this conversation, I don't wanna discredit Washington because they played a really good football game. Penix was unbelievable, the receivers were unbelievable. Uh Texas did a, a pretty good job on Dylan Johnson. Um Washington came in with a hundred and nineteenth ranked pass defense. Texas didn't really exploit that. So there was there were a lot of things you know when when they were clamped down on the on the passing game in the first half. I didn't think Sark ran the ball enough. I'm sure he would at some point say the same. Texas got pressure on Michael Penix. They just couldn't close the deal. They got a lot of pressure on Penix. And I thought if you just let him sit back there and sling it all over the field like the first possession he hits the long throw, he was just standing in the backfield. Uh, then they got him on the run, and then he still hit those throws. And it was like I. Listen, 20 years ago, Texas went down to the NCAA Final Four in New Orleans. I was thinking about this this morning. It's kind of kind of weird thought. But they went down to the Final Four in New Orleans, and they lost to Carmelo Anthony, and he was just a one-man show. And 21 years later, Michael Penix did the exact same thing and was just off the charts good. He was great. And I'm going to give Texas a little bit of credit because there were three possessions, three drives by Washington that ended up in field goals. Or, Bob, this game could have gotten really ugly. 
Having said all yeah. of that and everything that, that went wrong for Texas, they had an opportunity to get this thing done at the end, thanks to some miscues by Washington. It's insane, isn't it? And, and I, I kept thinking, like, uh, like it's just weird that they're going to go out like this. Like, I, I don't know. I, they, just, they played so well all year, and, and for them to go out like this was just going to be kind of bizarre. But you're right. In the third quarter, they turned it over, and then they'd hold to a field goal, and then they'd punt or, and get a, get a stop or, or another field goal or whatever it was. And even down nine with 2.30 to go, I even tweeted it out. I was like, a lot of you need to realize this game is not over yet. And they went down, and I thought, you know, we, one of the things that probably hasn't been brought up a lot was they went down and kicked a field goal to get within six. They, if they score a touchdown there, it's, I mean, now you can kick a field goal if you get back in range. Um, that was huge to not get a touchdown there. Uh, but then they, you know, Dylan Johnson gets hurt and stops the clock. So instead of getting the ball back with 15 seconds left on the 15, they get it with 45 seconds plus a pass uh, catch inter- kick catch interference penalty. So on the 31, I'm like, I mean, 45 seconds to go 70 yards is nothing anymore in this league. Like the NFL, college, they do that stuff all the time. And sure enough, he hits Whittington, he hits Blue. And then I thought they, that it's tough. I'm not trying to – those last four plays, it's tough. I just kind of thought it was bizarre. It, it was like, bizarre. I just kind of thought – it was all bizarre on those it, last four plays. It, it, it was, as, as we visit with Bob Ballou from KI Television in Austin. And, and I'm curious, in the postgame, uh, dissecting it a day after, those four calls, all of them, you know, after they got within close and you've got time, you know, the little screen pass that lost a couple yards, what was that? I mean, you need an end zone. One, yeah. one man routes in tight windows uh, you know, along the uh, the sideline or back of the end zone. Like, Sark, give me your four best plays right now, and that's what you come up with? Yeah, so I think if you saw the overhead view of the first play, they were trying to go to Sanders or Whittington, and I, I thought, looking at the overhead view, there might have been an opportunity to get it to Whittington. The problem is, I thought Washington's pass rush was really, really good, and so Quinn's going to have to make a throw. I mean, it was good all night, so Quinn's thinking, I'm going to have to make a throw fairly quick. You've got to let those guys get to the end zone. Uh, Sanders was covered. Whittington was one-on-one. But when Quinn had to throw it, I think he was like at the four. And so now you're thinking, if I throw it and he catches it and he's short, you know, now the clock runs out and everybody's saying, why didn't you throw it in the end zone? But he gets it out to blue, I think, just because he had to get rid of the ball. So then second down, he throws it out of the back of the end zone for AD, which was a ball again if he had maybe another second. Uh, maybe he hits him in stride, but he had to overthrow it. And then third down, the pressure comes. He's got to get rid of it because the pressure's coming, so he throws it out of bounds. The fourth down play is going to be the one everybody looks at. Again, you're, it's easy to criticize a day later or two days later, whatever we are. Now, it's very easy to criticize. Well, they should have done this. Well, yeah. Uh, you're also on the final play of, of a game like this with a, a 20-year-old trying to make a play, and he didn't make the play. It, there's, a, there's a freeze frame that I saw today, and it's, it's Quinn Ewers' throw midway through that throw. AD has separation, and the ball is, is obviously very high in the air. And I think, I was, you know, I try to get in the minds of what this might be like, and I think it's really hard to do without just sitting down with Quinn and saying, what were you thinking? But, you know, he threw that jump ball to AD in the third quarter to score that touchdown to get within six. And part of me wonders if he wasn't thinking, if I just get it up there, he's going to go get it. 
And so maybe he throws it up a little higher than what he would. Now, again, if he zips it in there and 80s at the back pylon, it hits him and they win the game. Hindsight on all this stuff is twenty twenty. I just think they, they lost this game way before one second to go. And it's like you guys said, it's, it's pretty phenomenal that they had the chance to even have that opportunity with a second to go. Yeah, I think that – I think that's what's uh, weird about the game because it seemed like Washington tried to give them the, the football game there at the end, and that would have been one hell of a comeback. So my question now is, Bob, that's over. Unfortunately, Texas' season is over. What's the future? Obviously, we, uh, Xavier Worthy now is declared for the draft. Uh, what does the future look like for this football team? I think it's over. I think the program's just going to crumble, and uh, everybody's going to – Somebody's got to give voice a reason on this. No, I'm kidding. Uh, obviously, what Sark has built uh, in the last three years feels sustainable. Um, with with the talent that they've developed at each position, plus what's coming in, plus some of the guys that redshirted this year or didn't get a, an opportunity to play, and they're going to get a real opportunity next year. Um, the future is very bright. I, I know I said to you all last week, Texas needs to win this now because you don't know when you're going to get another chance. And I still believe that. But I also believe that there's a significant amount of talent to the point that if Quinn Ewers decides to return, you've got a third-year quarterback going into the SEC, and you look at the schedule and you say, what are the toughest games on that schedule next year? And there are three of them in my mind. And, again, the portal changes things and teams become better as they go. But, I, you know, at Michigan, the second game of the year – uh, Georgia at home and at Texas A&M. And we were actually kind of joking about it. We said, if Texas goes 10 or 2, 10 and 2 next year, maybe even 9 and 3, but, but let's say they go 10 and 2, probably going to make the playoff. Yep. And that is a significant change from years past. And then you start talking about, well, now all this talent is now a year into it playing. Uh, when they go into the playoff, they're going to feel a lot more comfortable. And so, um, I just think the program, the future of this is super bright. You can't predict the future. You can't predict um, the un- the unpredictable, the things that are going to happen that, um, that that we just never see coming. You can't predict that stuff. But where it is today, I think Sark's got to feel good about the future. I think those players have to feel really good about the future, even with what they're losing. I think a lot of those guys are going to feel like, yeah, I learned everything from – Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat, now I can go be a great defensive tackle because of it. And that's just going to carry over. And you bring in guys like Colin Simmons, a five-star edge, alongside Trey Moore. You know, they didn't get the sacks on on Michael Penix on Monday night. Those two guys are maybe guys that can help. Ethan Burke's going to be a year along. Baron Sorrell's going to be a year. Like, there's just – I could do this at every position. Um, That's going to be what's, to me, what's the kind of the fun part of this development is who are these young guys – they're going to take that next step. That in three years, we're saying, oh, no, they're losing Anthony Hill. Oh, boy, that's crushing. Well, then there's another Anthony Hill behind him. So that's that's the fun part of this. Bob Ballou from KI Television in Austin joining us here on The Blitz. And you talk about the the future and the decision that a guy like Quinn Ewers has to make. And, and look, you know, we've had a couple of Longhorns already announced that they're declaring for the draft. I don't know. How many have hit the transfer portal? Like nine Alabama players today entered the transfer portal. Um, but I want to go back to media day. Since since you were in the Superdome when this happened, we've all seen the photo of Quinn Ewers 
with the nice table. Here's the starting quarterback, and nobody's talking to him. Everybody's talking to the backup kid over on the bench, and Quinn's looking back at that. Describe what that scene was actually like. So uh, we knew that when we went in, our for us, we wanted to get Arch Manning. Uh, we, we haven't talked to him. We haven't had a chance to interview him. Um, and so my first thought was, or my first, you know, the story we were going to do was Arch Manning. And I've had a feeling everybody else was all, along those, you know, that similar line. Just, again, we haven't talked you, to you him. Weren't, you weren't scooping so, everybody with that? No, 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 no. Um, and you knew that, you know, obviously we're in New Orleans. It's his hometown. All those guys want to talk to him. The national guys want to talk to him. It's a huge story. And so, um, I, we were standing there and all the Texas players came out. We didn't exactly know what the players that weren't on podiums were going to do. And so Arch just kind of came over and sat down on a bench and, uh, Anwar Richardson from Orange Bloods and I looked at each other and, and he, we both kind of went, let's go. And we both went directly to him. And obviously the horde of crowd kind of came around him. And I thought he was great. I thought he, it was actually funny. The first thing he said was, can I talk? Like, am I allowed to uh-huh. talk? And we were like, yeah, yeah, this is a free, you know, it's a, it's an open deal. And I probably spent 10 minutes there with him. We, you know, we got 45 minutes for that thing, and, and we had a bunch of guys we had to do, a bunch of different storylines. But I got about 10 minutes there standing with him, and I just thought he was incredibly well-polished, uh, exactly what you'd expect, quite honestly, from, from a guy that grew up with uh, Archie and Peyton and Eli and Cooper. Um, he, he was great. He, had jo- he, had, like, he could kind of joke about stuff. Uh, he said, Archie always told me less is best. Uh, sorry, guys. You know, I'm not. I'm not just not going to say a lot. And we all kind of laugh. You know, he he just he gets it, and and he's very ready for that role. And so the picture was tremendous, right? I mean, that's. But I I also think number one, if you ask Quinn Ewers, and some people did that day, if you ask Quinn Ewers, I think his response is that's great. Let him have the attention. Like it's it's always on Quinn. He doesn't necessarily love being in front of the cameras and media and doing all that stuff. He's not worried at all about it. I really don't think he is in the slightest. All right, Bob. Um, but I've got to ask you this question. If he comes back, if he comes back, he's going to compete for the job. If he loses the job to Arch, he loses the job to Arch. But he's not worried about it. And I think that's that. There's a big difference in what maybe is portrayed nationally versus what's real. Now, all right, you know this is coming, and I saw this this morning. You know a guy by the name of Mac Engel. Wrote, I do. A, wrote an article saying that the Horns have to start Manning next year. Now that's, <laughs> that, that's his article. But and we, we laugh at that, and, and I get where you're coming from, because going into the SEC, I, I think I'd rather have yours under center. But you know this is coming. Sark has to know this is coming. The pressure to start Arch Manning next year I think is going to be tremendous. I, I agree. I think we're I think we're I totally agree with you, Joe. I really do. I think the pressure for um, if Quinn comes out and, and we talked about this too. If Quinn comes out and they lose to Michigan and Quinn's not great and you know those type of things happen, of course. That's any quarterback controversy. That's any or any quarterback situation. When it was Chris Sims and Major Applewhite, that's what we went through. Like we we dealt with this um, a long, long time ago. And it was the, well, it's Phil Sims' kid. You brought him here to play. He's got to play. The Majors winning football games. So what do you do? Um, and and I, I fully believe, and, I, and I, I can't emphasize this part of it enough. When Steve Sarkeesian and A.J. Milwee and the rest of the staff recruited Arch Manning, 
Arch Manning came to Texas to learn from Sark and to develop from Sark because of his history with quarterbacks. And I believe they put a plan in place. And part of the reason I believe Sark knows that this is how this is going to go down, whatever it is, I believe Sark, they have had this plan established for a long time. And the Manning family, I don't think, would have walked into this situation. We, we talk, I'll give you an example. We talked to, uh, or we went over to Arch Manning's high school. I think I told you all this last week. Went over and talked to his head coach. And what I believe is that when they recruited Quinn Ewers to Texas and they were recruiting Arch Manning, that had no impact on Arch's decision. They knew Quinn would have however many years he would have left, three or four, whatever. Arch Manning still made the decision to come to Texas. So this was all – this, and Quinn, again, Quinn is one of three quarterbacks that have the highest rating in the history of quarterbacks. It's Vince Young, Quinn Ewers, and Arch Manning. They've all had the 5.0 out of 5.0. Um, there's a plan in place. And I think Texas fans are going to have to get used to the idea that Quinn Ewers plays next year. But, the, but that's not to say Arch Manning won't come in this spring and win the job. And I think Sark is going to – it's obviously a great problem to have when you've got these two great quarterbacks – and if Arch Manning is the better quarterback, I'm going to tell you this right now, Steve Sarkeesian is going to play him. And he's going to give him that opportunity. Uh, how that opportunity comes about, I don't know. Quinn's been hurt every year for the last four or five years. Um, and, and that's given other quarterbacks an opportunity. Uh, I just think this I, – I can understand the perception of it, but I believe Sark and the Manning family and the Ewers family, they all have a reality to it. And Quinn still has a decision to make. And it's risky either way, right? If he goes pro and he's the eighth best quarterback in this draft and he's not drafted till whenever, that's not necessarily ideal when you can come back next year and possibly be a, a first-round pick. If he stays and Arch Manning beats him out or he gets hurt again, it changes the dynamic of everything. So there's a risk involved with whatever decision Quinn makes. I just think in the end there's a plan in place, and Sark has, has had that plan in place for a long time, and he has been direct with Arch Manning and with Quinn Ewers about what that what that direction is. And Sark and his history with quarterbacks isn't keeping quarterbacks from uh, committing to the University of Texas. I know a kid named Trey Owens out of the uh, Houston area. He's he's playing in the All American Bowl Saturday, and he's already committed to Texas, and he knows he's going to be right. behind Arch for for a long time. Uh, we're number exactly. seventeen for the West this weekend. Six uh, five kid. Uh, good, and, good looking and guys, quarterback too. Gonna, My goodness. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this too. Watch Ryan Wingo. Oh, like this just, weekend just in the game. Watch Ryan Wingo this week. Yeah, just watch Ryan Wingo this week. He's he's going to be. I, I think he's going to be really special. He's a six-two wide receiver, world number seven wow. for the West team. How about that? Yeah, Minix is getting ready for his call, Bob. Yeah, I do the national radio <laughs> for that game. I'm, I'm I'm getting ready for it. It's going to be fun. He's a he's a he's a St. Louis kid that. Uh, uh, his brothers, if you go look, he has brothers that I think one of them played at Arkansas. Um, his dad, I can't remember where his dad went. Maybe he went to Arkansas too, but he was he was very, everybody thought at Mizzou he was going to go to Mizzou, and like two weeks before signing day, he announced he was going to Texas, which I assume had probably been the plan all along, uh, and and stuck to that commitment, even though there were rumors he wouldn't. So it's been kind of a, an interesting recruitment like it is with so many of those those five stars. Um, but he's he's one of those guys that I think, you saw seven or eight guys come in out of that freshman class last year and have a major impact on this team. 
I think Ryan Wingo could be one of those guys, especially because you're going to lose Xavier Worthy, Adonai Mitchell, and Jordan Whittington, and you're going to need some guys to really step up. And so uh, it'll be it'll be really fun to to see that part of the development. And, and again, like we talked about going to Michigan, who are your receivers? Mm-hmm. Who are the guys you're going to trust? I think it's going to be Jonte Cook. I'm excited to see what DeAndre Moore and Ryan Niblett do. I think Matthew Golden transferring in from Houston's a big get. Maybe Jatavion Sanders comes back, and that's another threat that you've got. Um, so, th- so there's there's plenty of talent. It's just how quickly can it get acclimated and and take the next step? Yeah, and don't forget the Debose kid out of Smithson Valley, who's a hell of a receiver and and a and a track star. So yeah. it'll it'll be fun. They also the, got a kid by the name of Trey Moore, right? Or, well, he's, he plays linebacker, not receiver. Well, but yeah, I, I yeah. get that. I mean, yeah. but he's still a pretty good prospect, is what the point of that was. Yeah, yeah, oh, the yeah. Big, there are, there are a lot of them. We, we got to just to to give you the old. You know, how you have those moments. You're like, God, I'm old. Uh, my uh, Parker Livingston's in that class. He's a wide receiver in that class out of the Dallas area. I went to high school with his dad. Caught up with him when I was in New Orleans. I'm like, this is insane. You're like, old, Bob. How, how do you have a kid going to Texas? I'm old. Yeah, that's well, the way it is. That's that's the way it is. Some of you get old. That, that happens. <laughs> it, it does. It, 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 it really does. First time I broadcasted really a high school game of a uh, kid whose dad I called his high school. I realized, my good, I've, yeah. I've been doing this too long. Bob Ballou, glad you survived <laughs> New Orleans, man. Appreciate you, Bob. I'm tired, guys. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> You're listen, old. we'll probably have some. We'll have, we'll have some stuff to talk about over the next couple months. I think you know this Texas basketball team will be interesting. Obviously, spring football begins with with Quinn and Arch doing battle. So, uh, you guys know my number. You call anytime. I would love to come on and tell you what's what I know about what's going on here. Well, we we will definitely Appreciate do you. that, Bob. Yep. Bob Ballou uh, from KI Television on the Buyers Barricades guest line, where they provide traffic control, rental, and sales for San Antonio and beyond. Uh, Online at buyersbarricades.com.